Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Today is the traditional day we celebrate the Feast of the Ascension. This is a remarkable event in salvation history. Of course, the the uh, obligation has been shifted to this coming Sunday. But we should always remember that the Ascension was, in fact, 40 days uh, after uh, the resurrection. Uh, Luke writes about it in both his uh, gospel and in the uh, book of the Acts of the Apostles. And he says, as Jesus said this, he was lifted up while they, that is the apostles, were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Uh, they are the two men in white stand beside them, and they say, Galileans, why are you standing here looking into heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. And then they go back, Luke tells us, into Jerusalem, uh, full of joy, and they go back to this upper room where they pray. And uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. Uh, Jesus' kinsfolk are there as well. And they also go about worshiping in the temple. Now, here are two quick points. First of all, they didn't run back immediately and begin preaching or doing works of mercy. Jesus' ascension didn't qualify them as activists. They uh, went back to pray and await the Holy Spirit, who 10 days later would come on Pentecost and equip them and commission them to go out into the world. Second thing. They, they didn't immediately run off to foreign lands. They went back into their own neighborhoods, right back in Jerusalem. Uh, they were at, on the temple grounds, where the day after Pentecost, they would preach to a hostile crowd that was only too glad to disprove their preaching about Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And believe you me, if Jesus' body had been a moldering in the grave, if he was still around, if his body was still around, the Roman or the temple guards could have easily propped it up in a wheelbarrow, rolled it through the streets of Jerusalem, and killed Christianity, not in the cradle, but in the womb. They didn't do it, because they didn't have the body. The ascension of our Lord. Jesus is taking his glorified humanity to heaven. The ascension of our Lord is critical to the gospel. Without it, there's no seating at the right hand of the Father. There's no sending of the Holy Spirit. There's no intercession in the heavenlies. There's no coming again. And yet, the ascension of Jesus is a neglected doctrine. Uh, look, look at the books on the life of Jesus, and there's lots of them, a wide selection of titles. Almost all of these books begin with his birth and end with his resurrection. A few might mention the Ascension. On my own shelf, I have about 75 books dealing with the resurrection of Jesus, but I've only got about six dealing with the Ascension. It's because the Ascension is a neglected doctrine among theologians and among catechists. But listen to me. Jesus' biography didn't end in AD 30 or AD 33. What's he been doing since? What's he doing now? And what's he going to do? Since the ascension, Jesus is every bit as busy now as prophet, priest, and king as he was when he was on the earth. In fact, what I'd like to do is author A Life of Christ, Volume 2. <laughs> and I'd like the first chapter to be the ascension of Jesus. And that's where you get into chapter or Volume 2 of Jesus' biography. Um, why is the ascension a neglected doctrine? I think there are two reasons that come immediately to mind. The first one's easy. The ascension seems like the closing act of a drama. He goes off stage. It's where you expect the credits to come up at the end of the movie. The second reason I think 
the ascension is a neglected doctrine, is that we don't preach on Christ's present work in heaven. And many Christians, especially those in non-liturgical churches, get the impression that Jesus goes to heaven, sits down, and waits around until he comes again. But this is based on a complete misunderstanding of what's actually going on in the heavenlies and the relationship between heaven and earth. Now, to give you a clue about how little we grasp of this heavenly activity, I'll quote St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. He says there that we, even as I speak, as I speak to you now, I and you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. How can that be? Well, actually, heaven is not far distant from us because God is not distant from us. Heaven interpenetrates our reality on earth. And in the scriptures, heaven and earth are like two halves of God's created world. Not, not so much like two halves of an orange, which are more or less identical, but simply occupy different spaces. Heaven and earth are more like the cloth of a flag and the meaning of the flag. These are two related ways of looking at the same thing, two different and interlocking dimensions, the one perhaps explaining the other. So talking about heaven and earth is how the Bible talks about all of reality. No matter what illustration helps us better grasp heaven's relationship to earth, what we do know is that heaven in the scriptures is God's space. The earth is our space. Heaven isn't just the happy place people go to when they die. God's plan is for the new heavens and the new earth to be joined together and all of creation renewed and united in God. Whereas St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 28, at the end of it all, God will be all in all. Heaven, of course, is our temporary home after this present life. But the whole new world, united and transformed, is our eventual destination. And Jesus is presently busy. He's at work engineering this new world as prophet, priest, and king in the heavenlies. Um, part of the point about Jesus' resurrection is that it was the beginning of uh, bringing earth into line with heaven. It wasn't just that Jesus happened to be alive again, as though some happy but bizarre quirk of nature or even some extraordinary miracle in which God did the impossible just to show how powerful he was. It's much more than either one of those two things. In the resurrection, death suddenly begins working backwards. Death is reversed because on the cross, Jesus had conquered the main forces of evil, decay, and death. And now the creative power of God, the recreating, resurrecting power of God, can no longer be thwarted by human or angelic rebellion because Jesus is the last Adam who, unlike the first, perfectly obeyed the will of God to the point of death. And now God's perfect will for his creation can burst forth and produce this new beginning. You might call it the pilot project of that new joined-up heaven and earth which is God's ultimate plan for all of creation. So the ascension is incredibly important. And if you read the New Testament with open eyes, you'll see the ascension all over the place. Matthew has Jesus predicting the event 
You'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. You have at the close of Matthew, Jesus saying, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. That's a reference to Daniel chapter 7, which talks about the ascension of the Son of Man. John's Gospel emphasizes the Son's unique relationship to the Father. The Son came from the Father and will return to the Father. In fact, the ascension is so important in the life of the early church that five of Peter's sermons in the book of Acts refer to the ascension. In fact, most of the speeches in the book of Acts talk about the ascension. And if you look at the epistles, you find the enthronement of Jesus after the ascension, the presupposition of all that St. Paul is talking about Christ working you know, today. So although the eyewitness event of the ascension is narrated only by Luke, the ascension towers over the entire New, T- New Testament, and the writers there use it to comfort their readers, to call them to holiness, to help them endure suffering. In fact, the Catechisms of the Catholic Church puts it this way, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. The lifting up of Jesus on the cross signifies and announces his lifting up by his ascension into heaven, and indeed, begins it. So, don't neglect the ascension. Without the ascent of Christ, Christianity wouldn't exist. Easter would have been incomplete without the ascension. Pentecost in the church would have been impossible without the ascension.